0: Thanks, Dan and team, for leading us in worship, and this is truly a day to worship. You're going to be watching this version uh, on Facebook or YouTube or something along that line, but we are actually starting live today at the Olive Branch at 10 o'clock. So um, this is a great day. This is the first time we've actually been able to meet for almost a year and a half, actually over a year and a half, and so this is truly, truly a celebration. And it's always a celebration when God is involved in something because he has the power to trump everything, and that's what you're going to see in the message today. We're going to be talking about, in these next few weeks, about rebooting, okay? You are familiar with that whole concept, you know, if uh, something's not working, whether it's a smart TV or whether it's your cell phone or something along that line, your computer, you shut it down, you turn it off, and then you restart it. And I was thinking about that in terms of kind of where we are in terms of this whole thing with COVID-19 and the church, you know, having to shut down and then restarting today. And I just thought it was an appropriate image because our world is really starting to now uh, emerge slowly, of course, slowly from this massive, you know, confusing, all-consuming thing that we've been in called a pandemic, called COVID-19. And it's, it's been a life-altering journey. Uh, this has been the first time that I'm aware of in human history when the world has basically shut down because of a virus or really because of just about anything. And so we're going to emerge from this whole thing with a common experience, okay? We're going to come back and there's going to be a name for the people who went through the pandemic. I don't know what will be called pandemicites or something along that line, but they already have a name for the kids who have been born during this pandemic. They're called coronials, okay? I mean, here's millennials, these are coronials. Uh, the teens, people who became teenagers during this time are called quarantines, okay? Very interesting. I'm sure they'll love that uh, as we move on. But it's kind of a whole new thing that we are moving into. And here's the question, what now? Because normal is no longer normal, and we're having to restart a number of different things, and i'll tell you every leader me included you know who's kind of looked at this time and there's no leader that i'm aware of is saying okay here's where we are right now and there's where we're going because we really don't know where we are we really haven't figured that out and that i think is only going to come probably in the next 2 years so the best way that i could think of to describe what's happening right now is reboot and uh, and to do this things have to shut down as they did and now we're kind of restarting and hopefully restart into something different. I was looking at Jesus and his wording on this, and he, he never used the word reboot. Obviously, they didn't have cell phones or computers or smart TVs back then. But he did use the word, word reborn. And it kind of means the same thing. He was talking to a religious professional who's trying to fit everything that Jesus was saying into an old system. And Jesus said, you need to be Reborn. By the spirit which of course was going to be coming and uh, this was going to change everything as i thought about this you know i thought about the whole thing of starting over and everything like that i thought oh, well i wonder if there's anybody in the bible who actually had to start over again and i'm telling you the bible is full of people so we're going to be talking about some of their stories okay in fact here's what i found out when i began looking at some of these people and thinking about them there is hardly a person in the Bible that God used that didn't have to, in their life, restart everything, okay? This happened with Adam and Eve. They sinned, everything shut down, they had to restart everything. This happened with Noah. We're gonna be talking about him today. This happened with Abraham. This happened with Jacob. This happened with Joseph, Moses, David, you know, and then you get into Jesus, you know, and of course, he restarted everything. I mean, this was, this was the ultimate reboot of this planet. So, this is all over the place. Now, here's what I know starting over as if everything is just normal and we can all go back to it is crazy because normal isn't out there anymore. And we will, in essence, be creating normal. Now, this is a great opportunity because, you know, most of us have had stuff, you know, that we're, was going on in our lives and we had to, you know, Put up with it or whatever. So, restart, pushing, you know, the restart, rebooting gives us a chance to kind of rethink our lives. Now, I'm guessing that for some of you, again, the whole thing of starting over goes way beyond COVID and it gets very, very personal. It could be that you experienced, maybe because of COVID, maybe not, kind of a financial meltdown, like you spent and spent and spent and spent and, you know, now you're drowning. It could be that you've had a relational meltdown with somebody in your life, you know, and the whole thing, you know, and it, you're going to be having to start over again. Some of you, you know, with, it was your marriage or maybe it was a dating relationship and the thing failed, you know, crashed and burned, and now you're having to restart over again. And it, it, maybe for some of you it was a job, you know, and it could be that maybe COVID shut down the work that you were doing or affected it in some way, and now you got to restart. So, you know, starting over is a big deal. And here's the question, (laughs) you're going to have to do this in an angry, scared, frustrated world that has changed, and you have to take a look at it, and you have to think about that as you restart your life. Now, what I want to pass on to you in this whole series of talks is not some depressing thing about restarting in relationships or restarting this, it's hope. Hope is what I want to communicate to you in this whole series of talks. And I think our world is in drastic need of hope because in many ways, we've lost it. Now, today I want to start... Again, with the ultimate reboot, and it was basically, it's found in chapter 6 of Genesis if you want to follow along, and it was basically the time when God restarted everything. Like he washed off the whole face of the planet and started over with Noah and his family and of course all of the animals that they were able to collect and bring into the ark. Now, just a side note on this, okay, because I'm going to be talking about Adam and Eve, and I'm going to be talking about Noah, you know, and I, there are some of you, I'm guessing, you have serious doubts about them because, you know, your teacher, you know, your, your teacher in your first year of university told you that these were all just myths, you know, and of course, that person was smarter than everybody else, including me, you know, and, and so they're just myths, stories that people have told, you know, to kind of comfort each other. And I want to tell you why I take them seriously and why most Christians take these, these narratives seriously. It's because Jesus took them seriously. You read what he had to say, and he was very serious about Adam and Eve and what had happened with them. very serious about Noah. So he took these narratives very seriously. And I'll tell you, anybody you know who predicts their own death and their own resurrection and then pulls it off and splits history in half, they have my attention, and uh, maybe they should have yours. But even if you don't believe them, just follow along. Because, man, there's some great stuff in here. And, of course, the issue was that You know, the first two people were created perfect and you know and they did what kids do. You know, your parents say, okay, you can have anything, you know, in the kitchen, in the fridge and stuff, but don't have this. What are we gonna go for? What do we want? Well, we want the one thing that we were told not to have. It's exactly what they did. And they rebelled against God, and I'm telling you, death and destruction reigned over time. Now, they didn't see it, you know, immediately, probably. You know, they think, like, well, I, you know, I had a bad piece of fruit. You know, I'm still here, and I'm okay, and so on. But when it really became real to them, what had happened was when their older son, Cain, mer- uh, murdered their younger son, uh, Abel. And, of course, all of a sudden, that started a whole new series of of destruction. And when you read the chapters that follow that, it's this, you know, Nasty stuff. You have Seth, the godly line, and people seem to want to follow God and so on. And then, you know, you had the other line, and it just became murderous and very, very difficult on this planet. And it got to the point. Let me read the uh, actual uh, description. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And so the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. Broke his heart. And, you know, you read in the other verse, it says, it gave him pain every single day. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race that I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry that I ever made them. And then this, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah found favor with the Lord. This was a catastrophe when you read about it, the likes of which, you know, we will probably never see, the world has never seen again. But the spread of evil had gotten so bad, and you're thinking, how could it be that bad? How could it be that bad? Well, you know, when you think about the fact that Noah, he's called a preacher of righteousness, that he actually preached righteousness for a 100 years, 100 years, all the while he's building this immense object lesson. You've seen some of my object lessons. I've never you know, made one that was at 450 feet long and, you know, my backyard and you know, took me 100 years to build. This thing was immense, and after 100 years of preaching righteousness, not one single person responded to the warning that he gave. Now, you know, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, and I'm telling you, if I preach for 100 years and not a single person responded, that would be very discouraging. What it does is it gives you an indication of just the incredible, incredible wickedness. And this wickedness, you know, uh, you talk about buyer's remorse. Anybody ever experienced buyer's remorse? (laughs) Well, my experience of that was, you know, the time when I saw this van for sale in the paper, you know, and I had to have this van. I needed this van because, you see, this van had shag carpeting all over the inside, and it was really cool and so on. And I (laughs) regretted it because, first of all, I used money that Lori had saved up to buy it, okay? Secondly, um, I bought it at night and got the thing back and realized it had way more rust on it than I thought. And then the third thing that brought tremendous buyer's remorse was the fact that I had to sell it before I went back to grad school so I could pay for grad school. So you, you've you all been there. You have to have it, then you're sorry you got it. And this says here that God was sorry that he had created the earth. Now, here's some clues as to why it got bad so quickly. The narrative says this. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with or contend with humans for such a long time. Listen to this. For they are only mortal flesh in the future. Their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. You know what the normal lifespan was then? Well, no, it says, lived for 950 years. Methuselah, the oldest recording, recorded person, lived for 969 years. So they had something that everybody wants. I mean, you just think, wow, I'd like to live that long. I mean, Noah is 500 years old, and he starts building this ark. So imagine that. Okay, that's just incredible. So by 500, he was only in the middle-aged part of his life, and his middle ages lasted for 100 years. Now, when you think about that kind of a lifespan, don't think of, you know, Mother Teresa and the good she could have done and Billy Graham, and the good he could have done. Think more like Hitler. Hitler, you know, committed suicide in 1945 when he saw that Germany was going to lose the war, and he only lived 56 years. Imagine what it would have been like if he had lived for another 900 years. The estimate says here that there was only wickedness, continual wickedness on people's hearts day and night, and it included violence. They were killing each other. This was a horrible place to be. So God made two decisions. And so the first thing was he was going to limit lifespans, which makes sense, okay? And next he was going to choose a man to save the whole thing. And if you'll find out, you know, the way God works, he always chooses a person, In this case, it was Noah. Now, we mainly know about Noah because, you know, he had this big, you know, project going on in his backyard, you know, this 450-foot ship. So we know about him as a carpenter. We don't know much about him as a preacher of righteousness, and we know nothing about his personal life. Like, we know nothing about what he looked like, you know, and, and how much, you know, how he could exercise when he was 500 years old. We aren't told that. But we are told that he built a ship. Now, listen to this. Noah was a righteous man the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. So God summarizes the situation. He sits Noah down, and he says, what he says to him. He says, God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth, build a large boat from cypress wood, waterproof it with tar inside and out, and then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. And and Noah's thinking, okay, well, why can we do that? You know, let me take some notes here. And then these words, make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening above the roof along the way all around the boat. Put the door on the inside. Build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Now, that gives you some kind of a scale of this project, Okay. It was the size of the aircraft carrier that my dad served on in World War II. This will blow your mind, okay? (laughs) We know now that the dimensions, you know, were, you know, the 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. You know what? It's interesting. It's only been recently that they have discovered that for a ship to have stability on the high seas, they need to have these kinds of proportions in their size. And yet all of these measurements, of course, were put on mothballs until the era of modern shipbuilding. Now, I did a little bit of research, okay, on the kind of structure that this was. So one of the first things that has to happen, and that's all I know, bad drawing, okay, but it looks like a big canoe, but hey, deal with me here, work with me here. So this thing was 450 feet long. First thing that they do when they're building a ship is they lay the keel, okay? And this is this big piece of wood. In this case, wood, usually steel nowadays, but big piece of wood that runs the whole way along here and goes up the other side. So on this other side here, it's, 40, you know, it's 45 feet high, at least 45 feet high, and so it looks a little bit like this from the front. Now, I, I did some research on like, shipbuilding and stuff like this. You know how big this thing would have been, how big the keel would have been? This keel would have had to have been 10 feet thick here. 450 feet long, curved up on both ends, and then two feet thick in the middle. So this measurement right here would have been two feet thick at least, okay? This thing was massive. And if my measurements are correct, this thing weighed about 300,000 pounds. He didn't have any cranes, didn't have any nail guns, didn't have any chainsaws or anything along that line. The size of this, and I think uh, if you're you're watching the pictures, you're probably going to see somebody's built kind of a reconstruction of this down in Kentucky, okay, figures. But so you're going to see that and so on. But this thing would have held 569 modern-sized railroad cars. It was that big. Massive, massive. I I, I did some more research, and this is a little bit sick. But, you know, 10,000 gallons of tar is what it would take to coat this thing on the outside and coat it on the inside. So it just gives you some idea of why it took Noah probably about 100 years to build this thing, okay? And not only that, not only did he have to build this thing, he had to load on it make sure that there was storage and room for all the supplies that he was going to need, all the food and everything for, you know, basically this traveling zoo. And just for the sake of record, okay, an elephant can eat 300 pounds of food a day. The two elephants on the ship do the math, and it gives you some idea of just the kind of supplies that he would need. So, and then he thinks to himself, <laughs> "How am I going to get these animals on the ship? And how am I going to tell whether or not I have a male and a female? You know, I mean, I know what to look for. You know, if it's a, if it's cattle, or if it's dogs, and so on. But I ain't a checking the cobras to find out if it's a male or a female." And apparently it was God, not Kevin Costner, who came up with the idea. If you build it, they will come, because they did. That's what happened. It was actually a miracle of God that caused this to happen. Listen to what it says. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with all the birds of every kind. And it took Noah at least 50 years to go out and round them all up. No, that's not what it says. Two by two, they came onto the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and a female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. And then the Lord closed the door behind them. What happens next is a catastrophe that's beyond anything that we can possibly even imagine. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. In other words, there's all these underground streams that are basically watering everything, as it says in uh, earlier in the book of Genesis. And these things all erupted, and rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. This wasn't just a bad rainstorm, you know, like a tropical storm or a hurricane, you know. Everything erupted on this planet, and uh, it's very interesting that every culture on the planet traces their heritage, traces their, their, uh, their history back to this particular catastrophe of a flood. And it actually did happen. The archaeology backs it up. Now, Noah told people this was coming, but they'd never seen rain before. And they were so incredibly wicked that they would not believe what he had to say. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. And finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. That's hard for us to imagine, okay? So it would be easy for us to say, eh, I don't think that probably happened. But this is what it actually says, what the record says. God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds in the sky. All were destroyed and the only people who survived were Noah and those who were with him on the boat. God rebooted everything. And I can just imagine that once the, you know, earth stopped, you know, throwing up all this water and the rain stopped pouring and running off the roof and so on, there was only quiet, you know, kind of this silence, water dripping from the roof and roof and, you know, and the water sloshing against the side of the boat. No humans. No birds calling, no voices, just water. And I'm just thinking, you know, Noah's thinking to himself, you know, where in the world am I? None of the familiar landmarks were left. It wasn't anything. It took 150 days apparently for Noah and his family to basically be able to get off this massive ship. And then this this boat this that he had made is basically up on Ararat Mount Ararat, which would be in modern day Turkey. And this thing's sitting up there, I'm thinking probably on a slant, so you can imagine they had to live for 150 days on this boat, you know, where you're walking like this to get around in there and the animals are falling over. And, And what Noah had at this point was time to think. He had time to wonder what in the world is going to be left of the earth. What am I going to do? How am I going to survive at the age of 601, which is how old he was, you know? What will the new normal be like? We don't know what our new normal is going to be like, but I'm telling you, people are still making cars, and they will make cars. People are still going to fly planes. People are still going to grow food and make cell phones. There was none of that. None of that. Anything that was going to be made was going to have to be made by he and his sons and ultimately his grandchildren, you know, out of the slop and the mud and the trees that were there. They have to do everything on their own. But what Noah had was he had hope and he had trust because God had been faithful. God had told him the truth. God had saved his life. God had given him all he needed to know to survive this mess, this reboot. So Noah started releasing birds on test flights you know, to find out if the ground was dry. Apparently couldn't see it, at least see it well. So he sent out a raven, you know, and it never came back. Apparently flew around and around. Now, anybody know what ravens eat? Ravens eat dead stuff, okay? Kind of gross, I know, but that's probably why it didn't come back. Then he sends out a dove, and this dove apparently flies around and around, you know, most of the day, and then actually comes back because there's no place to land out there, no place safe. So he waits a week, and he sends it out again. And there in its beak was this. And you probably can't see it, but this is just an olive leaf. I like to think it was an olive branch, you know? Out of the mud, apparently this olive tree was growing or at least sprouting, and what you find out is that olive trees apparently are some of the few kinds of trees that can actually survive underwater. And it became clear that there were going to be crops, that there were going to be olives, that there would be figs, that there would be peaches, that there would be all of these fruits that God had given, and that God would bless the earth once again. It's really interesting that, you know, when it comes to blessing, you know, it, uh, it's called God's anointing, and what was used to anoint was olive oil. Olive oils were used to light, you know, the lamps, it was used as medicine, it was poured on people as a sign of God's blessing, and the title actually for Christ, Jesus Christ, is God's anointed one, his Messiah, his, his anointed one. And so this whole thing flows together. And even in this mess, there was a prophecy that God would one day restore everything back to life. A little more than two months after the dove showed up with the olive leaf, you know, Noah and his family and the whole zoo left the ark. And it must have been quite a day. I mean, I can just imagine that things got a little dicey in there, you know, trying to Trying to keep the wolves away from the rabbits, you know, and and giving the skunk some space and so on, some fresh air and sunshine. This was a whole new life. And this ark would be a reminder of God's intervention in history to save everything. There are actually three signs that I can think of here. And I know this is like first grade art and so on, but bear with me here, okay? In the distance, I'm guessing that there was always the ark, and it just sat up there, you know, dark, forlorn, this place that, you know, took 100 years to build. And then, I mean, they couldn't even use it as a chalet for skiing or anything. It just kind of sat up there on the mountains. But I'm guessing that every time they looked at that, they realized God's mercy. God was merciful. God saved us. He showed us how to survive the reboot. And then there was the rainbow which was a sign of God's promise. And God basically said, every time you see the rainbow, this is what it says, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never destroy again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night. If you hear, you know, doom and gloom people out there talking about the whole thing's all going to burn up or, you know, the whole thing's going to get flooded, you know, because of global warming, you know, I'm talking, you know, there certainly are those effects and so on, but you need to understand, this is the promise of God, that everything is basically going to continue on. There will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, as long as the earth lasts. And one more thing was the symbol of the olive branch, the olive leaf. And it was a sign of God's blessing. It was a sign of God extending his hand of peace to people. It was a sign of God saying, I am going to make this earth better than you ever dreamed that it would. It was a sign that even as bad as things get, even in the isolation and fear of an 18-month-long pandemic, there's always hope. There's hope for Noah. There's hope for me. And there's hope for you, no matter where you find yourself in this whole process of starting over. A number of years ago, I saw something clever on the internet. I thought, everything. it was entitled, Everything I Need to Know About Life I Learned from Noah's Ark. I thought this is kind of fun, so let me just read these through. Number one, don't miss the boat. <laughs> number two, remember that we are all in the same boat. Number three, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Number four, stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something really big. Number five, don't listen to the critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. Number six, build your future on high ground. Number seven, for safety's sake, travel in pairs. (laughs) Number eight, speed isn't always an advantage. The snails were on the same boat as the cheetahs. Number nine, when you're stressed, float for a while. Some of you may need to do that. And number 10, remember, the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic, by professionals. (laughs) And then number 11, don't invite the woodpeckers. Now, I thought they were pretty good, you know, but when it comes to the story of Noah, and I mean, this guy's a hero. I mean, we just read about him in these little spaces and so on in three chapters of the Bible. But I mean, what a massive mission. I mean, if he was just going to save himself and save his pets, you know, he could have built a houseboat and he would have been just fine. God says, I want you to save everything. Everything is worth preserving because we're going to start again. And yet God didn't just tell him, you know, here's an ax, there's a woods, go build something, you know. He told them how to build it, something that nobody had ever seen before. He told them to do it with something that, because of something that had never happened before. Apparently rain had never fallen on the earth before. And It was to solve a problem that no one ever experienced before, which is a flood. God gave him all the details he needed. God was the one that brought the animals together, and he made this happen, and he protected him, and he protected humankind. He protected life, because that's what God is like. That's what you have to remember. That's what God is like. You know, when God tells you, to have courage, like we've heard, you know, from some of the kids telling us, Kelly speaking and, and the students in spoke, they did an amazing job. When he tells you to have courage, he tells you not he's telling you not to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Why would you? When he holds all the power and he loves you like a dad loves his kids. And maybe God would even say to you in this time in your life, maybe you are a little bit afraid. Maybe you're anxious about what the future has. Maybe he would say, you know the last reboot, the flood, you know, that happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago? Even then, I could see you, and I, could, I knew about the path that you're on, and if you follow me, I will lead you forward. I will take you where you need to go. Some of you may need to start over. And we're going to be talking about that, you know. And God will help you to do that as well. Here's what I want to say about this. And we're going to talk about this more in the future, okay. You've been in the mall and you've seen the thing. You are here, you know, and if you want to get to the bay or if you want to get to Walmart or whatever, you got to go some other direction. So this is kind of the map. You are here. And sometimes what happens, and this happens way more than you would ever think. Some of you may have had it happen to you. You start here and you're thinking, okay, well, I think I can, you know, I've been around this thing before and I'm going I'm to make my way your first try. And you find out that you're back at the same spot. And you well, I'm going to try it again. And if you don't rethink and if you don't understand why you are on the track that you're on, this time it's going to be a, a second, your second trial is going to be even a shorter circle. And this happens in relationships. You know, some of you have been dating and dating and dating, like serial dating, you know, and it's the same old thing over and over again. It's like Groundhog Day. Marriages, it happens in marriages. It happens with jobs. It happens with spending. It happens with habits. You just need to understand where you are and ask God for direction if you're going to start over. Some of you need maybe wisdom because you don't know what to do. You don't know what the next month holds, you know? And you know these past, you know, this past 18 months has changed your entire world. And now you got to know what to do. God will give you wisdom. Maybe you need emotional healing because your anxiety levels are through the roof. And that's what's going on now. I mean, there's a lot of people, like some of the psychological issues that people are facing because of this pandemic are immense. But God is sovereign and he holds all history in his hands and he holds your life in his hands. And as you think in that context, as you start over, you know, maybe what you want to say is God I don't want to repeat the past. I want to move into a new future. I want to set my course differently. I want a chance to rethink and redo my life so I end up with, in a better place. And he will help you with that because that's what he wants too. A little over a month ago, I was at a leadership conference and it was clear that everybody there at this leadership conference was struggling with this worldwide mess that the pandemic has created and the confusion and wondering what the future holds. One speaker by the name of Albert Tate, who's a pastor in Chicago, shared a thought that I just haven't been able to get out of my mind. And so I'm just going to pass it on to you because I think it's quite profound. And the question is what if COVID 19 is the lesson and how we respond is the test? Because you see, many times when we go through a difficult time, you know, we think, well, okay, I've been tested. Well, maybe that's the lesson, and how we respond is the test. I mean, think about it. What was going on in your life when COVID-19 hit? What was happening? What was, where was your life headed? What aspects of your life were you dissatisfied with? So maybe, the, maybe when everything collapsed, maybe that's the lesson. Maybe one of the lessons that you learned is that if you put your trust in money, if you put your trust in your job, if you put your trust in the government and the medical system, you know, in the school system and something like this, you know, a little tiny virus can take it out. So you better be careful where you put your trust. That's the lesson. The test is, what are you going to put your trust in now? Maybe the lesson for some of us is we were forced to slow down. We were forced to stay home. We were forced to stand in lines. Maybe the lesson is slower is better. Now, maybe I haven't identified this specific lesson, but here's what I know. Before you can figure out which direction you're going to go in, you've got to figure out where you are. I mean, the GPSs are wonderful things, aren't they? But you can't, you know, just be somewhere out in the middle of the ocean and hit the GPS and have it tell you where to go. Like, you have to know where you are so that you can know where to go from there. And I'm guessing that you and I learned something as we went through this. Always tempted to put guys like Noah, you know, up on a pedestal, you know, like way up there, you know, way up there, you know, because he was a hero. He didn't have a corporate, you know, Team. He didn't have a manager to make sure everything got done the way it should. He didn't have a construction company. He didn't have you know, zoos or zoologists or vets or weather network. But God gave him the capacity. God gave him the strength. God gave him the vision and the courage and maybe the desperation to do what he did when he received absolutely no encouragement from anyone else. Everybody else called him a fool. The other option was to get swept away by the flood and drown. That wasn't a good one. But he found out that God is faithful. And yet, after saving everything, <laughs> the last portrait of Noah in the Bible is not really a very flattering one, you know. He apparently, you know, planted some, planted some vineyards and he made some mighty fine wine, had a little too much of it, you know. And so the scene of him ending shows him passed out, drunk and naked, you know, in his tent. And then kind of waking up out of this drunken stupor to curse his son Ham, who apparently, you know, come in and saw him naked and made fun of him. And I look at Noah, you know, and I think to myself, wow, he's a mixed bag, just like me. Now, don't worry, okay? I don't lay drunk and naked in my tent. I keep my clothes on when I get drunk. Just kidding, okay? Here's what I think. I think Noah and his sons saw this chilling lesson of watching every living thing drown. They saw the decaying, you know, and everything decaying in the mud and debris when the water went down. They saw the whole horrible mess. And you know what happened? Well, as you read on in the Bible, you find out that, you know, within a few thousand years, Abraham is the only one who's still listening to God. Out of all that stuff, out of all that, you know, reboot, You just have to be careful because it's so easy to go through the lesson and flunk the test. Now, do you mind if I just take a couple minutes in closing and tell you why the story of Noah is so important in my life? last time i actually talked at length about noah in any of, any one of the messages was in the first public service of the olive branch which was held at angus glen golf course you know back in 2003 november 30th and i remember it like it was yesterday through a combination of politics at a former church that i was pastoring and of course my own leadership blunders and mistakes you know i was starting over again and it was painful and it was confusing I was ashamed that I had made friends and invested in people that, you know, betrayed me. I mean, something like, what did I do wrong? What what was I dumb that I didn't see, you know? I was in pain over the pain that it had caused my whole family, my kids, everybody, Lori. And right in the very center of that thought, okay, was how do I make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because this is so painful and horrible that I don't get revisited in my future. What I really, really need to learn from this message, needed to learn from that lesson, was I need to pass the test, and the future is going to determine whether or not that ever happens. And Noah's story about the ultimate reboot, the ultimate starting over, I mean, it gave me hope that in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of this incredible judgment, all the destruction, there's this green leaf poking up out of the mud, proving that God can grow things out of awful situations. As we prayed about what we were going to call this new church that we were building and and call this new calling to reach Markham and reach beyond Markham and, and accomplish what God had called us to do, God gave us the name. Lori was the one that picked up on it, you know, and the name was Yellow Branch. And there wasn't even any debate over it. I mean, when we got it, we realized, okay, this is what God is doing, and this is a this is a really good name. We wanted to be, you see, the green branch in the middle of the water, you know, surrounded by mud, but picked up by the dove, the, whole, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, proving, you know, that not everything dies. That God is the author of life, and He causes it to spring up where He wants it to spring up. And that sometimes he reboots everything. God, you see, is the author of every reboot. Because God also renews and he gives new life and he resurrects and he redeems and he restores and he renews our hearts and our enthusiasm and our souls and our calling. If COVID-19 is the lesson, what did you learn? Because there are a lot of people that are angry and frustrated, you know, and you've got the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers, you know, and you've got the masks and the anti-masks. And it just, it's created a lot of division. I'm telling you, that is not a good lesson. If COVID-19 is the lesson, are you and I going to pass the test about what God wants us to do with our future? I want to pass it. I don't want to go through it again. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would guide us at this time in history when everything has gone in a direction that nobody expected that it would go. Give us the strength to stay the course. Give us the vision that Noah had. Give us the strength to accomplish something that can't be done in a day or a week or a year or even five years. Help us to learn the lesson. Help us to pass the test. In Jesus' name, amen.